Good morning. Is this working? A real good week or so-so week? Or? I had a good week until yesterday, and I had a lot of challenges at work, but that happens. That's what we do. We do maintenance, you know. And so things got to break or I ain't got a job, right? And they broke yesterday. That happens, don't it? <clears throat> right. um, yeah, we're missing a lot of people today. And I'm kind of bummed out about that because I'm going to do something today that I've never done in my entire ministry. You guys want to be my guinea pigs? All right. Um, I'm going to share with you my personal opinion. Uh, on, a, on a, a particular passage of scripture, okay? And I want you to tell you right off the bat as a disclaimer, this is my theory. Based on other scriptures that I've read and based on some other studies outside of the Bible that I have done, okay? So I want to throw this out there that this is not, this is just a theory, okay? Okay, but first of all, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, Okay? There's a lot of mysteries in the Bible, and there's a lot of things um, that we don't understand. And one of the things that always perplexed me about this scripture is what was this about? And why then? And what was the significance of it? Because um, it was uh, just a random thing that happened just out of the blue. But with God, there's nothing that's random and out of the blue. Okay? But this is thrown in there. And a forerunner to uh, Matthew, or Matthew chapter 17, what takes place before that is Peter has a revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus asked him, who, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter made that declaration. And then, um, and then Jesus told his disciples at that point not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And then it goes on in uh, chapter 16 where Jesus predicts his death. He predicts that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And that's when Peter rebuked Jesus and said, this will never happen to you. And, then, and Jesus calls Peter Satan. He says, um, you're trying to, for lack of better words, be a stumbling block in what my destiny is and what, what I, my purpose is. And, um, and so Jesus is predicting his death. But then... Six days after that, it says in verse 17, our chapter 17, will you read with me in our text this morning? But we're going to use this as a jumping off point because I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at a passage in Joshua. I'm going to quote you a passage from Revelation. And then I'm also going to read you a little bit from NASA. Cool? All right, so I've never done this before. So I'll... You know about some of this stuff, you know, and so um, I want you to know you're studied in this stuff. I just had one year that I read a lot one year, all right? Okay, so you guys good with that? Yeah, the, um, I had, I'll tell you the story when we get there, okay? But the, um, <clears throat> But we're going to also, in today's uh, lesson, look at Einstein's theory of special relativity. Okay? 
Get your attention? What do you think, Al? So we'll see if I blast this up. But so um, I'm the, um, yeah, one year I spent a year of my life reading Einstein's theories. And this was probably about 12, 13 years ago. And um, I am not into science at all. All right? But, um, but I, it was just something that interested me because I was interested in time travel and I was also interested in something that I started to think about. And I'll tell you that in a little bit, okay? Cool? So let's get into the scripture first, okay? Are you guys with me? Okay, and I want you guys to understand, this is theory. I'm not presenting this as, what we read in the Bible is biblical fact, okay? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my theory of why this took place. Are you guys okay with that? Okay? So don't run with it and don't take it as this is the way it is, okay? Because I've never done this in my ministry before, okay? Cool? A lot of ministers share their opinions, and I very rarely share my personal opinion. I will quote biblical scholars and what they think, but... I have never come across this in any commentary or anything that I've ever encountered, okay? And this was something that dawned on me one day when I was reading this scripture, okay? And, and it was actually why I, it was part of the reason why I read um, Einstein's theory of special relativity, okay? My opinion is this. Chapter 17 is one of the most pivotal moments of history in the word of God. Okay? And I'll tell you why in just a second. You ready? Verse, or chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Okay, I want to stop there for a minute. What happened to Jesus right there? All of a sudden, he was standing there. He was, you know, because he was God that came and dwelt among us. And when the Bible says in Thessalonians, if I remember right, at, toward the end of Thessalonians, it says when Jesus came to earth, he set aside all his, um, his, uh, his rights to operate as God and came and lived fully as a man under Holy Spirit's leading, okay? And he wanted to demonstrate to us how we could live our life under Holy Spirit's leading if we would follow the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus did his miracles, when he walked the earth, when he did not sin, when he did all these things, he did not do that as God. He did that as God who put himself in our position as a man but was showing us if we follow Holy Spirit's leading what we're capable of doing. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Yes? He was still very much God, but he didn't tap into that to be able to do that. He tapped into the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. You remember that? And then that's when he began his ministry in power. Okay? So what you're seeing here is you're seeing Jesus being transformed, um, transfigured back into who he really is as God in the flesh among us. You're seeing his glory. Do you guys understand what I mean? Okay? Now, 
Don't throw stones at me, like Dennis said this morning, right? Dennis, you remember that? When I walked in, I told you I'm a little bit nervous because I'm doing something I've never done before because I don't ever share opinions ever, okay, in, in, when it comes to Scripture. But I want to do it this time because this is kind of interesting, okay? Just then, as Jesus was sh shining in his glory, appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Why were those guys there? Any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, in a Jewish religion, people honored Moses and Elijah. Okay. I have heard um, in the last 25 years, I've heard preachers preach before where Jesus is about to face his own death, and so the Father sent Moses and Elijah to encourage him to build him up in his spirit to move him on. I've heard preachers preach that, and I mean, you know, God loved Jesus, his son, so much that he sent some encouragement, some backup, if you will. I don't believe that. Now, biblical scholars, one of the theories, and this is a theory, and then when we read commentaries, when we read those things, those are theories. Those are people's interpretation based on using Scripture to interpret Scripture, what, the, what they get the gist of. And one of the, um, one of the theories was the biblical scholars, and this is, this is kind of a, a leading thought, is um, one of the theories is that um, Moses was the one who wrote the law and taught the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Elijah was the chief or the leader of the prophets. He was the one who started the school of the prophets. He was, and he was the first prophet that ever um, brought or ever did a resurrection, raised the dead. And Elijah's life is a, is a foretelling, if you will, of the life of Jesus and what was to come. Okay, And so Elijah is a very pivotal person in biblical history, and so is Moses. And so what the biblical scholars believe is that, um, that those two were sent there, and they were basically anointing and uh, imparting to Jesus, if you will, that he was the fulfillment of the law, and he was the fulfillment of the prophets. Okay? Now... Then you got Peter, James, and John there. They're seeing all this. Why would that be important to them? By the way, what I just told you, what the biblical scholars think, I disagree with. Peter, James, and John, what do you think they represented in this? We haven't finished with Elijah and Moses yet, but what do you think Peter, James, and John represented why were they there? And why would that be a pivotal moment in history? That's what... All right. Let's, let's move on from it. Let's keep reading. And then we're going to go back to that in a minute. And it says in verse 5, while he was still speaking, 
While Jesus was still speaking. So Jesus is speaking to everybody there. It says, a bright cloud enveloped them. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on one second. I skipped a verse. Verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped all of them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, don't be afraid. They looked up and saw no one there now but Jesus. And Jesus was back to his normal self. Okay. A lot took place in that one instance. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you what my theory is on that. Okay? And why I think this is a pivotal moment in biblical history. Okay? First of all, let's look at time. Jesus said in Revelation, He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Okay, so we understand that Jesus was alive before He was ever born into a human body. And, and it talks about that. He says, I, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Jesus. We know that from biblical, okay? We understand also that God supersedes time. God created time. You guys understand that? So God is outside of time. We pass from this life, we will go into the dimension that God is in and we will be outside of time. We will be in what's called eternity. Time will have no meaning to us any longer. Okay, so, let's see. I'm going to use two chairs as an example. When did time begin? Genesis. When God created the heavens and the earth. How do we measure time by earth standards? By earth standards. Twenty-four hours a day, year by year by year by year. Okay, this represents the end of time, not the end of existence. The end of time when Jesus comes and 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 we live in, forever in the presence of God. Okay, this is the end of time, not the end of existence. The end of time. So you, time has a beginning and an end. Okay. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one who finishes it all. What takes place in time? We have this epic spiritual battle going on around us, right? You guys understand that. We're in a spiritual battle. We have this epic spiritual battle going on around us. And so we have this battle going on in time. And you know, when I was younger... I used to have um, this dumb question when I was a kid. And, it was, and I always swore it would be the first thing that I would ask God when I seen him face to face. I wanted to know how has he always been in existence. answer to that. We won't know until we get into eternity. And even then we probably still won't be able to comprehend it. Okay? But 
I do know this. God created this, this, this thing that we know as time. It has a definite beginning, and it has a definite end. And God is outside of the realm of time. He's not bound by time. But in the timeline, we have this epic battle taking place. And we know in the timeline that in the end, it talks about in Revelation, the prophecies talk about that Satan will be defeated, he will be cast into the lake of fire, and he will never be in an effect on eternity on anybody again. We do understand that, that Satan, the victory is already won. It's already a done deal. Okay? So God is outside of time. So if God is outside of time, can God move within anywhere in that timeline? Okay? So, time is relative. It has a beginning and it has an end. You guys understand where I'm at? God knows the beginning and he knows the end because he's outside of time and he's already seen the whole thing taking place. Are you guys following me? Are you guys bored out of your mind? Okay? How does that have anything to do with transfiguration? I'm getting there. Okay? So... If there's a beginning and an end, and God's outside of time, so technically, the beginning and the end, and all of everything that we know as life on earth, or life in this reality, from God's perspective, takes place just like that. Because I, I used to wonder, when I first became a minister, why God was taking thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years for Satan to be defeated. And I was like, what is the deal with that when God could go just like that? And then it dawned on me when I started studying um, special relativity. God did finish it just like that. It's just that we are living in this realm or this domain where we are bound by time, but God is not bound by time. Satan's Satan's, uh, where he tried to elevate himself up as God in the beginning, when he tried to elevate himself up as God and set himself, set his throne above God most high, and God cast him down to the earth, and this thing began to the end where he is defeated and he's thrown in a lake of fire. In God's perspective, it happened just like that. So we are living this out, and from from eternity's perspective, this has already taken place. You guys understand what I mean? So, with that being said, Moses, why was Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John all on this high mountain with Jesus when he's glorified? My theory is this. My theory is this. Moses and Elijah are in this time period. It would have been right around in this time period. Jesus and the transfiguration would be right here. Peter, James, and John would be on this side of things representing what's to come to this point. Okay? And so my theory was and is based on what I've read about special relativity dealing with time. You, you guys want to know what special relativity is before I go any further? Okay, don't. So, I've never done this, so please indulge me, okay? And if you're watching on Facebook Live, don't send me hate mail because I ain't answering.
So, I divert to NASA. All right? And so I'm going to read from NASA's official page, nasa.gov. Okay? There was, a, there was a club in Minnesota that sent NASA a thing, and they asked um, an intriguing question, is time travel possible? We've all seen the movies, Back to the Future and everything. We've seen Star Trek time, where they, uh, where they travel really, really fast. And, okay? So I'm going to read to you NASA's official page, okay, just to explain what special relativity is, special relativity. And then it's actually been proven... Um, but no objects have been, we don't know if objects can withstand this, but this is the deal, okay? The, the guy from NASA answers the question, is time travel possible? He says, time travel is one of my favorite topics. I wrote some time travel stories in junior high school that used a machine of my own invention to travel backwards in time. And I've continued to study this fascinating concept as years have gone by. And he goes on to say, we all travel in time. During the last year, he states, I've moved forward one year, and so have you. Another way to say that is, we travel in time at the rate of one hour per hour. But the question is, can we tra travel in time faster or slower than one hour per hour? Or can we actually travel backwards in time, going back, say, two hour, hours per hour, or ten hours per hour, or a hundred years per hour? It's mind-boggling to think about time travel. What if you went back in time and prevented your father and mother from meeting? You know, Back to the Future, you know, that movie. Um, you'd prevent yourself from ever having been born. But then if you hadn't been born, you couldn't have gone back in time to prevent them from meeting. So time is really a perplexing and complicated thing. The great 20th century scientist Albert Einstein developed a theory called special relativity. The ideas of special relativity are very hard to imagine because they aren't about what we experience in everyday life, but scientists have confirmed them. This theory states that space and time are really aspects of the same thing. Space and time. There's a speed limit of 3,000 kilometers per second, meaning or 186,000 miles per second for anything that travels through space and time. And light always travels the speed limit through empty space. You guys understand that? The speed of light is 1,800... 186,000 miles per second is the speed of light, okay? Special relativity also says that a surprising thing happens when you move through space and time, especially when your speed relative to other objects is close to the speed of light. What will happen is if you travel at the speed of light, time goes slower for you than for people that you left behind. You won't notice this effect until you return to those stationary people. For example, are you guys still with me? Say you were 15 years old when you left Earth in a spacecraft traveling at about 99.5% the speed of light, which is much faster than we can achieve now. And you only celebrated five birthdays in that time period, in, 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 you know, in that time period during your voyage. When you get home at the age of 20, you would find that all your classmates were 65 years old, retired, and enjoying their grandchildren. Because time passed more slowly for you, you will have experienced only five years of life while your classmates will have experienced the full 50 years. So if your journey began in 2003, it would have taken you only five years to travel to the year 2053, whereas it would take all your friends 50 years. 
in a sense, this means you have been time traveling. This is a way of going to the future at a rate faster than one hour per hour. You guys understand special relativity? Okay. Now, we understand from the Bible that God is outside of time. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So you got Moses, Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John, and you've got the transfiguration right here. Okay? So I want to prove to you biblically that God is outside of time. And he can manipulate time as he sees fit. Okay? How do we measure time? 24-hour increments as a day. Okay? Now, that's important to our timeline. 24-hour increments. Okay? Here's what happened. God, is, God supersedes the laws of physics. That's why miracles happen. That's why we're able to see miracles. That's why we're able to see the supernatural take place because God supersedes the laws of physics. He supersedes the laws of space and time. You guys understand that? He can do whatever he wants because he created this whole thing. Okay? I want you to go back with me to Joshua. Will you turn your Bibles to Joshua? Are you guys good? Am I boring the heck out of you? Okay. But I'm going to give you a theory of what it takes place because I believe this is a very pivotal moment in biblical history when we see the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. But it's my theory. You guys understand that, right? Okay, here we go. And not Elijah, Joshua, I should say. I got Elijah on the brain. Joshua was dealing with some things and he was in some battles. And I want to read to you the, the important part of this. Verse, let's start with verse 9. Joshua chapter 10, verse 9. It says, After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horn, cut them down all the way to Ascra as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran. Israel had been under attack. Israel had been in a war. And, um, and God has given them the victory. It says in verse 11, as the enemies of Israel fled, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Ascarah, the Lord hurled down large hailstones on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones and were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Verse 12, On that day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. And Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, okay, and this is when Joshua prayed. He said, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Abjalon. And it says in verse 13, So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. It says the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. 
It says in verse 14, There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. God did a miracle for Joshua by making the sun stand still and the moon stand still. At that moment, nothing happened in the universe or the, or the galaxy around the earth at that moment. God did, a, God did a supernatural miracle dealing with physics and stopped the, basically the rotation of the earth for Joshua. The earth rotates around in one day. How, far, how many times does it go, rotate around? Once. That signifies a day. God superseded the laws of time, the laws of physics, and everything else to deliver into Joshua's hand a victory. God made everything stand still. He superseded the laws of physics. And so with that, I want you to understand that God is above everything that we see in the natural. God is, God be, and the reason he's above it is because he created it. Without God, every element... Everything that we have around us would not be in existence. And so you got the beginning and the end, and you got the transfiguration. So my theory is this. Moses and Elijah were not there imparting to Jesus that he is the fulfillment of the law and that he is the fulfillment of all the, that he is the prophet of prophets and he is the fulfillment of the prophets. That's not what I theorize happened. What I theorize happened was they're living their life in this time. Peter, James, and John are living their life in this time. In this time, where are we? We're living our life. And then sometime in our future, our grandchildren or great-grandchildren's future, will come the end of time. Okay? But all this is taking place in God's perspective right now. So God can move here, he can move here, he can move here. That is why... He can read, give us revelation and prophecies of what's going to take place because he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, okay? And so my theory is what's taking place at the transfiguration is a pivotal moment in biblical history. Theory, that's my theory, because what I believe is you got Elijah and Moses, pivotal people in, in the faith, heroes of the faith. They are being brought forward to this moment of time. And they, at this moment of time, are here. Peter, James, and John are here also, who represent the future. They represent what we look back at as the past. But for these people, Elijah and Moses represent the same thing Peter, James, and John represent to us. You guys understand that? And so my theory is this, Peter, James, and John, or I mean Elijah and Moses are here seeing Jesus in his glorified form. They are having a revelation of who Jesus is. Then the cloud, you know, and Peter's running around wanting to build shelters because that's what Peter does. If you guys know his life story, I mean, Peter does crazy things. You guys remember the disciple Peter? He does crazy things. So he's running around building, you know, running around saying, I want to build a shelter for Elijah. Moses, and you, Jesus. But my theory is, is this. Elijah and Moses are having a vision or a revelation of who Jesus is. Moses wrote 
most of the first five books or six books of the Bible, five books of the Bible. Elijah was a living embodiment uh, and a foretelling of what Jesus' life and ministry would be. Okay? So you got Moses getting his revelation of who Jesus is. You've got, you've got, um, I just had something run through my mind. I'm going to throw it out to you as another theory. And then you got Elijah getting a revelation of who the coming Messiah is going to be. For them, they're seeing a future event, the coming Messiah. For Peter, James, and John, they're experiencing it in the now. And, and then we're going to, and we over here will look back on Peter, James, and John's experience. We will look back on Moses and Elijah's experience as they write about it from this perspective, as Peter, James, and John write about it from this perspective, and as we live it out in our perspective. Do you guys understand what I mean? Okay? So, as I'm sitting here talking about this, something popped in my head. Remember Moses up on the mountain, and he spent all that time on the mountain in the presence of God the Father. And he wanted to see God's glory, and God allowed his backside to be seen by Moses, okay? Moses is the only person that lived and saw God the Father live, okay? God had a very special relationship with Moses, unlike any relationship that he had with anybody before that or after that. Um, and so if you think about it, why wouldn't he give Moses a revelation of who Jesus is? Because Moses wrote what we know as the book of Genesis, where we go back to the very beginning where God pronounced the curse on Satan and said there will be one being born of a woman who's going to come and Satan is going to bruise his heel, but Jesus is going to crush his head. Moses had that revelation. He got that revelation from somewhere. And I propose to you that it happened at the transfiguration when Jesus was glorified. That's my theory of what the transfiguration was all about. Now, it's only theory, and it's only my opinion. What's your guy's opinion? Eh, another Sunday. Huh? As good as anybody else's, that's right. Because that's where biblical scholars come from. They, they form theories. And so we don't know exactly the whys of it, but we do have theories of it. And my theory is, is this was when the Old Testament was being written and the New Testament was being written, coming together at one pivotal point of revelation in history. Thank you, NASA. So, in conclusion, I want you to understand when we see prophetic, when we get prophetic revelation, when God gives us stuff, you ever notice sometimes we jumble it up? And sometimes we'll, we'll read into it because we don't understand. If you look at it from Moses and, if Moses and Elijah are getting a prophetic revelation of who Jesus is, the coming future Messiah at this pivotal point of history, they're, they're encountering Jesus. They're getting a revelation of who he is, if my theory is correct. They're getting that re prophetic revelation of who Jesus is that they will write about. 
Now, in prophecy, you'll see things that you may not understand. Okay? From their perspective, they're getting a revelation of the coming Messiah. Then you got some crazy guy just running around wanting to build shelters from their perspective. You understand what I mean? So they're going to have this incredible revelation of the coming Messiah in his glory. Okay? But something they wouldn't understand is, why was there a guy running around all going crazy wanting to build, build them a shelter, build this other guy a shelter, and build the Messiah a shelter? You understand what I mean? So they may not have understood that, so they probably didn't write about because they're like, got me. You understand what I mean? But the thing is, is when we receive prophetic revelation or foretelling of things to come, sometimes we may see in the spiritual realm things that are coming that we may not necessarily understand. And it could be a Peter moment where he's running around, as somebody's, you understand what I mean? In that time period is running around acting a fool if you will. You guys understand what I mean? And so the point of this is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Even in prophetic revelation, even if God gives you visions and God gives you um, ideas of things to come, keep your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. Because even in, your, even in your prophetic revelations, there may be a Peter. You understand what I mean? Running around wanting to build shelters, if you know what I mean. And I use that in kind of in jest, but you guys understand what I mean. Keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Whether you're living your life, when you're receiving prophetic revelation, when you're growing in the gifts of the Spirit, when you're growing in the things of God, when you're doing work for the work of the ministry, keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. There may be a lot of distraction going around around you, but if you keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, you will get the true revelation of who he is and what you're supposed to do for the period of time that you're in. Cool? So with that, I conclude. That is my theory of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. I'd like to give you an altar call, but I don't think it's fitting for that. I, I was just using this as a Bible study today, and I just wanted to go and show you some different things in Scripture. And I hope um, you found it interesting, and, and I hope those of you out on Facebook Live don't send us hate mail. Cool? So, will you all stand with me as we go in prayer? And um, we'll go from there. Cool? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, we got all sorts of theories outside of your word. But what's important is that we keep our eyes on you, Jesus. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. And I ask Jesus that um, as we go through life and we learn how to interact with you, and we learn how to utilize the gifts of the Spirit, and we learn how to tap into more of um, the spiritual realm, and, um, and doing supernatural things for your name and for your glory and for your honor, I ask Jesus that you help us keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. Help us keep our eyes on your word and what you say and not on the things that are going on all around us as we're getting this revelation. Jesus, you are the only revelation that we need and help us keep our eyes fixed on you. That way we don't fall. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Natalie, will you come?